Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Revolution Recap. This one coming to you after the Revolution's 1-1 draw against the Chicago Fire on Saturday, which followed a disappointing 3-2 loss to Louisville City in the U.S. Open Cup as the Revolution were upset by a lower division team. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone and Brian O'Connell as we break down the week of Revolution action. Um, I was actually away uh, this past week and and came back during the Louisville City game, so I didn't get a chance to watch that Open Cup game. So I'm going to rely on Brian and Greg here to to tell me what I missed in that one. Um, But obviously the the end result was a 3-2 loss, uh, losing to a lower division team, which uh, is is not a good look for the Revolution. Brian, what did you think from this game? Yeah, I think uh, really the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that, you know, uh, for all the the talk that Friedel had in his reserves and even that talk leading up to that game. Um, I remember vividly in the post-game conf- uh, post post-game press conference following the Red Bulls game is that he's, you know, stated his belief in, in the, the team's depth and how that would help them going into the open cup game. And I think we learned a lot about that depth uh, from objective standpoint is that maybe perhaps, you know, that depth isn't really as there, maybe they're not as deep as maybe Brad Friedel initially thought they were just based upon how that game shook out. And, you know, take away the scoreline, I just think that, you know, guys like, you know, Mark Segbers, uh, you know, who did score a goal, but guys like uh, Zachary Harvo, uh, Femi, and um, Brandon Bai, and even Scott Caldwell really didn't have that that great of a game. Um, but I just think it was a really, really disappointing result for a, game, for, uh, for a team that, you know, for a team that, you know, has, has a lot of, you know, on paper has a lot of depth, but, as we saw against Louisville City, just that that depth didn't really come through when they needed it. Yeah, and I agree with you, Brian. It, it was a very disappointing result. I think it was. It's not a competition the Revs, I think, wanted to put a lot of stock into anyway. I know that Brad Friel said he was going to feel a competitive lineup, but it, it seemed like he wanted to give his reserves and backups uh, some playing time. And going up against Louisville, who we talked about last week as being the 2017 USL champs uh, and still one of the strongest sides in the USL, um, I, I think it's a, uh, it's not really a loss that I think the Revs will keep them up at night. But with that being said, it was a very disappointing performance by the Revolution. Um, certainly you think of your, your reserves being able to hang on the field with a USL team, even if they are one of the top USL teams uh, in, in the country. But uh, clearly the reserves are a below average to average USL team if you were to field them across the USL for an entire season. Um, outside of Andrew Farrell, I thought everyone played pretty poorly. They just didn't seem to be into that game. The 3-2 scoreline is actually really, really generous to the Revolution because they got two gimme of goals, uh, one being an error on the keeper where Segbers had a tap-in, uh, and then the other one was an own goal uh, when a central uh, defender tried clearing the ball and, and kind of ricocheted their own net. So um, I, I was really disappointed kind of all the way around. Uh, I think Femi didn't play the best. Uh, they, they just had no real offensive chemistry at all. Uh, I think Zach Haravo uh, didn't make a good debut as a 10. Uh, I think Jake Katniss tweeted out his passing chart, and I think I counted something like two successful passes uh, going forward in the attacking half of the field. So um, I think Zach Haravo's experiment as a 10, you know, not, not a good night for that. Um, overall, and, and Friedel laid into him too. He said that until Kellen Rowe came into the game, uh, there was really no energy on the field and he seemed very disappointed in the reserves. So, um, I don't think anyone made a good audition for, uh, some more playing time going forward. And I think the starting 11 and the 18 that we've seen in the past few weeks, we're going to see the rest of the season because none, none of the reserves did anything to stand out and they're not going to have another U S open game to, uh, get another chance. So a bit disappointing overall, it would have been nice to have, uh, got another couple rounds into the U.S. Open Cup, but I think we kind of talked about this last week. At uh, you know, it's it might not be something that the Revs are want to play their top eleven in. And overall, I think their main focus was Chicago, and they got a decent result on the road yesterday. Overall, so uh, as I say, I don't think the Revs will lose any sleep over it. I just had a quick question for you guys because I noticed that uh, Somi obviously was left out of the eighteen after this game, and he was one of the uh, the first people to be subbed out of this one. Uh, I believe. Um, the the first sub that wasn't caused due to injury and he came out in the 58th minute for for Aguadello. Um did he have a really poor game and do you guys think that's why we didn't even see him in the 18 on Saturday? 
Yeah, I think I think so. I think that's exactly the reason why we didn't see him. And I, I think I don't know the exact quote that Friedel had after that after that Louisville City game, but um, I know that he, you know, he kind of bemoaned the lack of effort from guys who were given opportunities to make an impression. And um, and you know, I I think he did speak about accountability. And I think one of those players that he was target, one of those players that he certainly. Um, was referencing was Gabriel Somi because to me Gabriel Somi really was like a non-factor in that game, and for a guy of his of his you know class on paper to not have any kind of impact in that game, um, I think just spoke volumes about where Friedel uh, you know where Friedel views him now um, to not only make the first non-injury sub from that game but to not even put him on the 18 the following week uh, last night uh, at Chicago. Yeah, I agree, and it was a bit of a weird sub too because Louisville was still creating a lot of pressure uh, in the attacking half. It seems strange that they went from a four-man back line to kind of like a three-man back line with a hybrid, subbing off Somi for Juan Hagadello, subbing a defensive player off for an offensive player. Um, and it's not like anyone on the offense was really having a great night either. They could have taken off Haravo or Femi. Um, <laughs> to take off Somi, I think, was pretty telling. Um, I'm not reading too, too much into the leaving him out of the 18. I know he failed a fitness test a couple weeks ago. Maybe he was just under the weather. Um, and I think, too, it'll be interesting because Claude Yelna is out next game because of yellow card accumulation. So I would expect to see Somi start next week. But if he's not, I think that would be a more telling sign that he's really dropped in Brad Friedel's book. Um, but, yeah, we, we've gotten a lot of poor performances or, or below averages performances from Somi. And um, he seems to have the tools and the uh, traits to you know, be a, be an MLS quality left back. He's certainly played in the Europa league and in Europe and you, you'd expect better from him, but uh, we're not seeing the results so far. Yeah. And, and with that, let's jump into the MLS game this week. Um, I think following a disappointing result like that in the open cup, uh, the pressure was on the revolution to, to pull something out in this game against Chicago. Um, Chicago, obviously not one of the, the best teams in this league. They currently sit in, in seventh place after that game, uh, two games below 500, um, so this was a you know big opportunity for the Revolution to to make up some to gain some ground potentially um, above the the teams that are just outside of the playoffs um, and with the draw the Revolution are five points up on Chicago and Philadelphia um, for a, a playoff spot and above that that red line um, but the and this game Teal Bunbury ended up scoring a goal in the eighty second minute to give the Revolution the draw after the Revolution fell behind um, on a Bastian Schweinsteiger goal um, but. You know, then result one point for the Revolution, a good fight back from the Revs. Uh, Greg, what were your takeaways from this one? Uh, my takeaway is actually, uh, I think Luis Caicedo has really solidified himself in the central midfield. Uh, he played really, really well yesterday, and it was a really physical battle uh, between Chicago and New England. And uh, first half alone, he had six tackles and two interceptions. Um, me and Brian talked last week about uh, how he uh, really strived and does a lot of good things uh, off the ball and, and really helps get back and cover for the defense. Um, actually, that Schweinsteiger goal, he was a little bit behind the play, and I think that was really his only one one, uh, one real error of the, the night. So, uh, But I think Caicedo is really kind of – the central midfield has been a rotating door throughout the season, but uh, I think the last two performances we've seen from him have been very, very promising, and he seems to be thriving uh, into that, that role that I think initially was meant for Zahibo, uh, and he's kind of come into his own. Yeah, I thought he had a really good performance, um, with the exception, as you said, of that, that goal where it actually looked like he tried to stick his arm out to, to stop Schweinsteiger, but perhaps underestimated how, how strong Schweinsteiger was there. Um, but overall, that, that goal was, I think, a bit disappointing play from the Revolution, where they seem to be, uh, a few of them anyway, seem to be distracted by thinking the ball had gone out of play and, and arguing that rather than, than playing to the whistle. Um, but no, I, I agree. Casado has really stepped up in that role, and he, and he led the team in passing accuracy with 92.3%. Um, so you know, that's great to see an important, important from a guy in that position. Brian, what, what were your thoughts for, from this game? I think my biggest takeaway was just the fact that the, the never say die spare of the Revs was obviously in full effect last night. Um, and I think I think the way in which the goal was scored kind of is very very telling in the way in which you saw Fagunis really really battle uh, uh, Richard Sanchez for that ball. Um, you want to talk about high? Pre- I remember somebody on Twitter had said you know that now talk about high press. That, I mean. Doesn't get any any higher than that, um, but I think it was. Um, I think the the manner in which the goal was scored and the time in which the goal was scored, I think, kind of speaks volumes about this team's spirit and this team's fight, even down to the very very last, uh, almost to in the waiting moments to to never say die, 
which is something that you know we all, all three of us really or anyone uh, really saw much of last year, especially on the road. Um, so to see the Revs kind of never kind of like never back down, and you know, obviously the Schweinsteiger goal was, was kind of a killer at the time um, because they were playing reasonably well, um, and Chicago was not playing that well at all, from what I could tell. Um, and for them to bounce back and really kind of uh, get that goal and just to really, it really not made something out of nothing. Um, fortunately for the Revs, you know, Sanchez had made that mistake. Um, but for Fagunis to battle and then set up Bunbury for that goal, I think was, uh, was, was, uh, was kind of uh, another, another uh, kind of feather in the cap for the Revs to not only show that they're a different team under Friedel, that there's, the mentality is different, um, but just to kind of show that even on the road, they're, they're, they're not a team that's ever going to back down. I think last night was uh, was further proof of that. Yeah, and, and I want to point out, Jeff Lemieux tweeted after the game that the Revs have conceded the first goal in their last three games, but they haven't lost any of them. They're one, they have one win against the Red Bulls, and they've tied the other two. So um, it's a really good mentality. And even Diego Fagundes, you know, I think it was the 84th minute or 82nd minute, uh, you know, he's still pressuring that ball. He kind of, I, I don't know if he had that instinct that Chicago was kind of, struggling with it it was a really weird play and there was a lot of spin on that ball but he's still hustling to the ball he's still kind of getting in the keeper's face and he forces a turnover um it was certainly lucky but i think a lot of you know tens who have been running around the field for 80 minutes don't necessarily chase after that ball because they assume the keeper has it so um you know it's a winning mentality and it's really great to see from the rebs yeah and i was actually just about to say that i I mean you kind of took the words right out of my mouth greg about fagunis at the end of that i mean you know the 80 second minute after doing all that running still has the fight and spirit to really battle for that ball, which, you know, 99% of the time really amounts to nothing. The, the collector keeps it and then just, you know, uh, kicks it downfield. But, um, you know, for him to kind of never give up, I think it also speaks to the kind of also speaks to the um, uh, to the faith that it's it's almost rewarding the faith. for Goonies is rewarding the faith that Friedel's shown in him by showing him that, hey, like I'm not I'm not backing down and that I'm not going to be the kind of player um, that you can't rely upon because you know that in itself, like I said earlier, was uh, was telling him which the way that the Revs just never backed down. And I think uh, Fagunis, of all people, to make that kind of play, kind of you know show has has re- rewarded the faith that Friedel has had not only in his group but in in, in Fagunis as his number ten. Yeah, and the one thing I'd add to that too is that you look at this game and Fagunis only had thirty three touches, which is a you know, very low number for a number ten. Um, so for him to stay involved and, and, like you were saying, get up there and be active and put that pressure on that late in the game, uh, it was certainly one of those games where he wasn't involved as much as usual. He still managed to have three key passes, but uh, only 33 touches. I think it was the second least number of passes in a game. He only had 21 pass attempts, um, which is yeah by, by far one of the lowest, and the lowest in any game has gone 90 minutes. Uh, so for him to stay alert and, and, and get involved is a you know, credit to him um, because, again, this is one of those games where you know, he's not seen a lot of the ball, perhaps, you know, you, you fall asleep and, and not playing as active as he did. So that was you know, great to see from, from Diego. And, and on, on that note, the other guy that I thought had a really fantastic game um, was Christian Pania uh, getting forward in the attack. But my, my one thought there, and I think that there's a case that he was, you know, the best player in the night, was um, his finishing could have been a little bit better. And if it was, you know, he could have you know, had as much as three goals in that game. And, you know, that was one of the things that I thought put the Revolution in a tough spot and, and had them fighting for a late equalizer. Am I being a bit harsh to say that Pania should have put away one of those chances he had? I don't think so. I mean, he hit the post on one shot. I think that was his best, uh, I guess I'll say, shot of the night. I think he had seven shots total, only two were on target. So um, the finishing all the way across the board kind of left something to be desired, I thought, last night. But, yeah, there, there were times where Christian Pania seemed like he wanted to take the game over and just something wasn't clicking for him. Uh, the one play that sticks out in my mind is... Uh, he's kind of carrying the ball into the box on the left wing, and the ball just kind of gets left behind him. I don't know. He just lost the ball off of his foot, and you know it thwarted the attack. And Chicago cleared the ball. Uh, that seemed to be the biggest waste of a chance uh, yesterday. But um, Pena certainly did get involved in the game, and he certainly had an impact on the game. And uh, I, I think you know, I think at one point I tweeted out last night. You know, they're only one one goal down. Only one of these shots needs to be good to go in. Uh, and it seemed like Pania would be the guy that would he, he was already trying to take over the game and and uh, force some shots in and, and I thought he was going to register one of them but it turned out to be Bunbury who got the shot so um, yeah I, I thought Pania played very well yesterday just kind of unlucky not, a bit of a bad day at the office yeah and I was going to say that I I would say that Pania certainly was 
for me, I thought was the man of the match. You know, takeaway for you know, if we're not if we're not talking about Tail Bunbury or even Diego Fagundes, but I think I thought Christian Pena was the best player on the field last night. Um, you know, obviously his finishing could have been better. Um, there was another sequence that I think in which he um, in which it was him. Uh, there was a breakaway. He was going down the left, and he had I think I think he had Agudelo to his right, yep. and he had the option of either shooting or passing. And I was looking at the replay of that, and I looked like for a split second he hesitated. Because he saw Agadell and he was thinking, all right, maybe you know, maybe I should cross. Um, maybe I should, you know, put a square ball in front of uh, in front of Agadell and ha- have him shoot, have him take the shot. Um, but I think that slight minute, that slight hesitation, kind of unraveled. Um, you know, kind of uh, forced him to kind of take a a, in a shot that maybe he didn't want to take, or maybe really he didn't, he wasn't fully committed to because of that. You know, second uh, that second thought of giving it to Agadell. But overall, I thought. I thought he had sensation. Like I thought he was definitely going to score in that game. I said earlier in the game that this game feels like it has a Christian Pena goal in it. Um, and I had his finishing been a little better. I think, you know, like you guys had mentioned, I thought it could have been a multi, multi-goal multi game for him had he just been a little bit better in the final third. Yeah, to me it looked like he did all the hard work and you know, was, was great at beating guys, creating chances. But then when it came to the shot, there were you know, a few pretty clear-cut shots that he had that he sent right at the goalkeeper. Um, so, you know, like, like you said, I think there's every case for him to be man of the match in this one. Um, but for his finishing, which, you know, I think let him down in, in this game tremendously um, because every other aspect of his game was, was very good, you know, give or take, a, you know, one, one or two plays. Um, but, you know, seven shots, you expect a, a couple more than just two on targets, especially with given the chances that he had were, you know, they weren't really speculative shots. They were good opportunities. Um, and you'd like to see him put at least one of those away. Uh, but with that said, I think there's a lot of positives to take from this game. And, and my actual takeaway from this one was at the left-back spot, and we touched upon it earlier, was uh, Claude Yelna getting the start at left-back. I thought he did really, really well back there. Um, I think that role suits him better than center-back. We talked about it earlier this this season about how, you know, as a center-back, we saw him trying to push to get forward. Um, and, you know, at times that left them exposed in the back. You know, at left-back, you want to see that a bit. And I think he did a good job in this game of actually, you know, making nice overlapping runs, playing the ball in well. Um, in, you know, 85.7% passing accuracy, which is, I think, 8% higher than the best game that Gabriel Somi's had all season. Um, and you know, to me, I think Dielma is a better left back than he's a center back, at least from, you know, the brief appearances we've seen this year uh, at that role. And I, I, I think he's got a future there as a Revs left back. Um, with that said, he's got a yellow card in this game that will see him out suspended from yellow card accumulation for the next game, so we'll need to find a, a solution. But um, I think there was positive signs for the revolution, what you saw from Tielna, who also led the team in touches with 80 um, and was very involved again, just like he is when he's at center back. Um, tied with Farrell, actually, with 80 touches. But uh, to me, Tielna was, was one of the better players in the match. Yeah, I think you I think you hit the nail right on the head, Sean. I think he is a better option than Gabriel Somi at this point. It's just unfortunate that, that the refs aren't going to have him for that midweek game at San Jose because you like to see what he can do as he gets as he progresses and as it becomes more of a routine from him because I do think that he is I do think that he is going to be the the solution at at left back for you know for for the time being and you know when you have when you have somebody like that when you have somebody of his pedigree that's able to kind of take over and um, and man that spot especially with with the injury to Christianity I think it's uh, I think it's a luxury the refs. Um, certainly um, enjoy having um, that. You know, it was nice to see the overlapping runs. I know that there were a couple instances that I saw um, in which you know he did those. He, you know, he he was as as ambitious as we've seen him over the course of his time here in New England, where you know maybe he really didn't get back to tracking back as as quickly as he should have. Um, but at the same time, I do think that um, I do think that he is nevertheless the the Revs' best option at left back going forward. Or at least until they, you know, maybe take a, a harder look at maybe acquiring somebody during the during the transfer window. Yeah, and I think you said it last week, Brian, that he he's got the heart of a striker. I mean, he really does love going up, and I think having him go up at left back is better than having him go up at center back. So I, I think he does bring a little bit to the offensive side where he does. Uh, unleash some long crosses and he does give you some overlapping runs that have been just as good as what we've seen from Chris Tierney and Somi so far, if not better. Um, but at the same time, I, I think uh, it lets you keep uh, a pair of center backs uh, back and not get as exposed in the back as we saw in some, some games earlier this year, like in the Montreal game. So uh, I think it's the best of both worlds. You're able to keep uh, Claude Yelna in the lineup. Uh, I think you need a, you have a hole at left back and I think he fills it uh, pretty pretty well. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall I like the Claude Yelna at left-back experiment so far, and uh, I think we're going to see it going forward. 
Now, we touched on it earlier, but and I know we often get to lineup changes at the end, but I, I'm just curious, what, what do you guys think we see this week um, with Dielma out and obviously Chris Tierney out for the season um, and seemingly Somi in the doghouse? Does, does Somi get a break here and, and get one more opportunity to shine, or um, does Friel go with, with something else? I think Brandon Bay played a few minutes as a sub at left back in one of these games, but uh, what do you guys expect to see next week given – given you know, the, the recent history at left back, which has left the Revs you know, really thin back there. I think we see Somi. I, I don't think Somi – I know he's he's put together some poor performances, but I think giving him some minutes against San Jose, I, I think it will benefit him a little bit. It's one of those things where you just got to think one of these days Somi is going to have a game, kind of like Christian Namath when he got a start, and we, we were kind of like, well, he, he actually played pretty well. I want to see him in the lineup again instead of seeing him for eight minutes at the end of the game. Uh, I think – Giving Somi, Somi's going to have a, a game where he's going to play well. I, I just don't think he's that bad of a player. I think he's not a low-quality player that can be easily replaced. And obviously the Revs felt that way bringing him in uh, at the beginning of the season. We thought he was going to be the uh, answer at left back. So I, I would like to see Somi go 90 minutes. I would like to see him play against San Jose. And I, I'd like to see a, a good performance. I, I think if he plays at San Jose and he plays poorly again, it wouldn't shock me if we don't see him, if we see him outside of the 18 following that. But um, I, I think I'd be a little more confident with Somi there as opposed to either Andrew Farrell playing left back and Brandon Bay on the right side or Brandon Bay at left back. I have two words, Kellen Rowe. No, I'm just joking. It's actually <laughs> Kellen Rowe. But I think Friedel does have a, a difficult decision to make because if we're looking back at the, at both Brandon Bay and Gabriel Somi's last game, which was that U.S. Open Cup game, they both didn't look good in that game. And, uh, and I think, and obviously, um, Frito was pretty harsh on the performances um, from what he saw in that game in the post-game, uh, in the post-game scrum. So um, I think it's going to be a, I don't know if Somi's so much a slam dunk. I mean, if anything, I think maybe Somi gets it just because he has more experience. Um, and I do think that Frito is willing to give him a longer leash and say a rookie like Brandon Bay. Um, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I, me personally, I think that, you know, the fact that, Somi wasn't even included in the 18 for a game which you think that he's going to be reasonably healthy because of the he's going to be reasonably fit because he only played you know fit, he he didn't even go 60 minutes in the Open Cup game maybe I don't know maybe maybe to me I'm reading into that too much and that you know that was kind of like a you know sending a message to Somi by saying um, you know you you've really got to earn your spot in the 18 um, and maybe who knows maybe the message is sent and maybe the message is received. And Somi has, you know, a good couple of days of training before they fly out to, to San Jose and, you know, solidifies his spot or reclaims his spot, his spot so to speak, uh, back in the lineup. But, um, you know, I don't think I – don't, I think it will be a difficult decision. I think it will all boil down to the way that Brandon Bay and Gabriel Somi train leading up to Wednesday's game. Who, Brian, out of curiosity, do you think they put Brandon Bay on the left side? Or my theory is that they just move Farrell over to the left and have Brandon Bay on the right side because they want him to make those runs up the right wing. Is that what you think they'd, they'd end up doing yeah, if they I'm inserted Brian yeah. in the lineup? I'm thinking that that's probably what we see. Um, I do think that you know they, they, they flip-flop flat, flip flop Farrell, <laughs> easy for me to say, and Brandon Bay. Um, and you have Farrell on the left and you have Bay on the right. Um, but I do think it'll be a difficult decision that I think will – I think personally will be de- will be determined based upon what Friedel sees on the on the uh, training ground this week. Yeah, I think right now it's a 50-50 shot, and um, I actually lean towards seeing Brandon Bay play this game. Um, you know, no, as, as Brian said, don't want to read too much into what we saw in the Open Cup game, but uh, it is notable that it was Somi that came off and not Bay, um, particularly because I think with the, the players that the Revolution had on the field in that one, there were more options on the right side to, to rotate things around. You could have moved Segbers back. There were you know all sorts of different things you could have done um, while you were lacking left-sided players. Um, so, you know, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I think that Somi's more in the doghouse than Bay, even if you know both of them didn't have the best performance in that game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in this one. It's a, it's a difficult choice. Um, and again, given the situation where it, it seems like it's assuming there's not a knock we haven't heard about, um, that Somi's very much in the doghouse based on him not making the 18 in this game um, and, and the players that were available on the bench for it. 
Um, because again, Brandon Bay was in the 18 for this game, so he would have been your, your fullback off the bench if somebody came in. Um, one last thought. I'm just curious your guys' thoughts on the performance of Kellen Rowe on this one. Um, and I just thought it was kind of interesting that we saw Zahibo come on uh, for Kellen Rowe in the 74th minute with the Revolution looking to, to get an equalizer and, and down a goal there. Um, because on paper, you know, Kellen Rowe seems like the more offensive threat than, than Zahibo. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I didn't think Kellen Rowe played great. I, I do like the pairing of Rowe and Caicedo. We talked about this last week because uh, they, they field the same lineup uh, that they did last Saturday. And we, we talked about, uh, I, I like that central midfield pairing of Rowe and Caicedo. I think Rowe does give you a bit of an offensive spark, but it seemed like yesterday he didn't have the best of games. Uh, I think his pass percentage was around 70%. Um, yeah, 68% last night. Uh, he didn't didn't seem to be much of a factor. Um, it, it was a bit of a physical game and a bit of a choppy game, so it, it wasn't very fluid and it wasn't a really good flowing game that suits uh, Kellen Rowe. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him get in the central midfield, but I think maybe they might go with a more defensive-minded midfield of Zahibo and uh, Caicedo against San Jose. I think Kellen Rowe, they, he, he seems to shine best as the super sub coming on in the 60th minute and giving you 30 minutes of uh, offense when you're down a goal. Um, for whatever reason, they don't seem to want him to go 90 minutes. I'm not sure what that is, but um, I was also surprised he didn't get the start in the U.S. Open Cup game. I thought that would be a good chance to show him off as uh, kind of a 10 and, and kind of lead that charge, and they gave that to Zach Haribo instead, which I was a little surprised about. But um, I guess it makes sense that they wanted to rest him for this game. But again, they pulled him after 68 or 74 minutes. So, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, was an, it was an okay performance from Rowe. I wasn't, he, he just seemed to be not much of a factor. Yeah, I think uh, Rowe. I mean, it was it was kind of a it was kind of an average performance for Rowe from from what I could tell. Um, I, I do give him credit for like really, you know, he did he did add some grit, um, which is the same kind of grit we've kind of seen him play um, when when he when Heaps kind of used him uh, on the wing. And I know that uh, you know when Heaps used uh, you know when Heaps used wingers, like the biggest thing he was looking for, he was looking for guys, um, you know, like him and him and uh, and Teal Bunbury. Guys who would give who would give a little bit more grit, a little more uh, a little more effort on the wings. I think we kind of saw that same kind of player, that kind of play from Rowe last night. Um, wasn't afraid to get stuck in. Wasn't afraid to kind of challenge guys um, on the fire. So I think I, I don't think he was ever really lost in the game. I think he added um, what he typically adds in a game like that, which is kind of like some grit. I'm not afraid to not afraid afraid to make fouls. Not afraid to ch- take guys on uh, defensively. Um, so I think. I think it was the kind of perfect game for him to play in. Um, but that said, I, I don't. I'm a little iffy on the future of the uh, Roca Caicedo pairing as your uh, central midfielders because I do think, you know, as much as much you as much of a work rate as you're going to get from Caicedo and as much of uh, a, a, maybe a little more grittier presence that you're going to get from Roe, certainly you're going to get the effort from Roe, um, which is probably why he was in the lineup uh, over Zahibo. Um, I do think that you need somebody like Zahibo if. You know, a, a kind of a taller and more physical presence, you know, within that spot because I do think that you know, um, once guy once teams like, um, you know, like once teams like uh, like like uh, Columbus, you know, kind of like flip and flop between the the long ball and the short passing and building out of the back, um, I do think you need a guy like Zahibo's presence, you know, to kind of counteract that. So, um, you know, for last night, it, I think it I think it did the job. I mean, there wasn't any world world-beating performances from anybody on the revs, maybe save for Pania. Um, and I thought Rogue did, 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 did an okay job. I think he held his own. Um, but nothing to, you know, certainly suggest that, like, no, this is this is the way, this is the pairing I want to see. I want to see Rowe in that kind of, kind of like the eight-slash-six spot partner alongside Caicedo uh, every game going forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree with, with Brian on that one for sure, that I don't think there's been enough yet from, from Rowe to convince me that that's, that's the role going forward. But it is, you know... It's been good to see him get more minutes out there, and I think he's slowly starting to find his way into Brad Friedel's system, where at the beginning it didn't look like he necessarily fit it that well. Um, and with that, uh, Greg, do you want to take us through the uh, any questions we got on Twitter for, for this episode? Yeah, and actually, it, the, the first one kind of touches on that central midfield. Uh, Tyler asked, do the Rev need a more consistent central midfield? Diego and Caicedo played decent games uh, last night, but I thought Dax had a really easy time off the ball setting up attacking lanes and clogging them defensively. Well, first of all, I mean, Dax McCarty is a fantastic player, one of the, the better central midfielders in MLS, um, who's you know had a lot of joy against a lot of guys. But I, I do think that consistency there um, has been lacking. 
to me, I know Zahibo didn't necessarily have some of the best games recently, but I, I still think that he is you know, a fantastic option for the Rebs there. Um, I'm surprised we haven't seen more minutes from him lately. Um, and I think long-term he will be the starter back there. I think he you know, has a presence there, particularly on the defensive end for, for clogging lanes. Um, but also, as we you know, mentioned before, getting forward and in particular on set pieces um, as, a, as a threat there. Um, so I'm surprised we haven't seen more of Zahibo. Um, and I do think long-term that he might be the, the answer as, as one of those center mids behind Diego. Um, but yes, consistency at center, center midfield is, is certainly something that's important because that's one of those positions that really holds the team together um, and, and constantly rotating and, and changing there I don't think is necessarily good for the team. Yeah, and um, to kind of piggyback off that point, Sean, I, I, do, th- I do wonder where, where, um, you know, where Friedel views Ahibo in terms of you know, getting what he needs from him in training because you know, I think I can only go back to you know, I can only go back to Friedel's you know, uh, ongoing comments about how spots are won and lost in training, and I do wonder whether or not um, perhaps maybe Zahibo is kind of getting, uh, you know, the conditioning is is kind of ca- catching up to Zahibo because um, you know he had he had a he had a string of some fantastic games after week two, week three, and then you know in the last three to four weeks he's just kind of been um, you know relegated to reserve. So you do wonder what's what's kind of going beyond going on behind the scenes because he does seem to have all the characteristics you'd want, um, at least the characteristics that we've seen and kind of the the display the performances we've seen from him, uh, you know, shortly after week two, week three, that you know lend itself to somebody who you know Friedel would certainly lean on and rely upon, um, at you know at this point in the season and to see that he's not he's not breaking the ten. I mean, he's not breaking the eleven as often as as he was a few weeks ago. It's kind of concerning because you wonder whether or not you know wh- whether or not he's putting in the effort to, to to earn that spot, or whether or not it's uh, you know maybe maybe it is tactical. Maybe maybe Fidel does like the the pairing of Caicedo and Rowe. But I do think that long term, I think you do need a guy like Zahibo to step up because you do want consistency in that area of the field because that's that's one of the area of the field that the Revs when when they struggle traditionally. Um, that's one part that's often left unresolved is that central midfield spot or consistency within that area if you're going to have two partners. Um, and I think that needs to be addressed, and I think that needs to be, kind of be uh, locked down so- sooner rather than later, for sure. And I think that Zahibo need, really needs to step it up in order to make sure that uh, he's putting himself in position to get those starts again. All right, and we got one more question, too, from at Dendun29, and it's a – Multi multiple uh, portion question here, so I'm going to read off the full thing, and then we can kind of address this bit by bit. But uh, he asks, "What should the Revs' primary uh, target be this summer? A winger opposite Pania, or is Namath and Juan the answer?" Uh, based off Claude's play at left, Claude Dielna's play at left back, do the Revs leave him there and bring in center back depth? And based off of limited international roster spots, should the Revs go after Fabian Johnson? Um, I want to address first the question of uh, the right wing spot. We haven't talked about uh, Christian Nimeth and Juan Agadello. Uh, Sean, you, you must be confused because you went on vacation and we were talking about how we're done with Christian Nimeth and then uh, he's back in the mix uh, for the starting job. Um, I, I thought Nimeth played kind of average. He didn't play the, the same as well as he did last week, but uh, I'm really wondering what they're going to do with Agadello against San Jose. They've been kind of uh, building him back up, and I would assume that Juan Agadello is getting the, he might get the start next week. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see him there, but uh, I, I, what do you guys think? Do you think Namath and Agadello is the answer on that right right wing spot, or you think they should go after someone else? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're the answer, but they're certainly not. If the Reds are going to target somewhere, I think um, they, they would probably be better served by targeting another spot. Um you know, my, my kind of inclination is fullback, um, and I know we'll kind of get into that later on as part of that question. But, you know, I think I think the Revs, from what we've seen from Namath in the last few weeks, I think I think Friedel likes what he has at right at, at, on the right wing with, um, you know, the combination between um, Agadello and Namath because, you know, Namath, Namath obviously has kind of shown shown a little bit more. He's looked a little more promising now that he's getting more, more, uh, more regular minutes. And, uh, you know, Agadello is back to health. So I think... I think honestly, at this point in time, I think I think Frida likes what he's got in those two guys, and um, is probably going to stick with them unless you know somebody suffers a long-term injury or unless there's a significant decrease in uh, performances from Maya either too. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think it's you know up on the list of the Revs' biggest issues right now, but I, I actually do think that it's, it's something to consider. 
um, because I think you have a lot more consistency on the left side with, with Pania and you know, every game you know he's going to be a threat. He's going to find a way to do something. Um, where you know, Aguadalo, as we talked about before, the consistency hasn't been there. Uh, Nemeth has shown some signs the past few games, but again, consistency hasn't been there. Um, and I don't think either of these two guys has pr- have proven over a consistent basis that they can provide the same level of offensive threat that, that Pania can uh, or that Fagundes can, um, which, which makes me think that it is something where if the opportunity was there to go out there and get an improvement, uh, the Revolution should, should take that opportunity. Um, with that said, I think there's more holes in the defense they need to work on and you know, striker as well where they you know, perhaps need somebody better to back up Bunbury. Um, but I, I don't think it's outrageous, certainly, to think that the Revolution should go out there and, and try to find somebody better on the right wing because it's, you know, it's been a, a, certainly several years now with Juan Aguadelo where um, he keeps showing fan, fantastic flashes of what he can be, but consistency hasn't been there. And injuries certainly have slowed him down as well, but that's you know, another concern and another reason why you'd go to look to somebody. Um, and, and certainly Namath, I don't think the sample size has been big enough of you know, decent performances from him to be comfortable there yet. So t- to me, I-, I do think that's a position that, you know, it's not your top priority, but it is something you look at in the, in the summer window. And then our next question is, uh, based off of Claude's uh, play at left la- left back, uh, should the Revs leave him there and bring in cent- center back depth? Or I know Brian wants to bring in a new fullback. Uh, wh- wh- what do you think, Sean? I mean, I think you need to, to bring in a new fullback regardless. Um, I think you need improvement at right back still. Uh, you know, Farrell's had his moments, but I think you can use an upgrade there. Um, Dielna, uh, you know, I, I do like him at left back. I think that what we saw there is good. I think he could be your long-term solution. Um, you know, whether or not that whether or not that's the case, I think you do need more center back depth. Um, certainly, if he is your long-term solution at left back, you're extremely thin at center back and, and need help there desperately. Um, but even if he's your solution at left back, um, I think you should bring in someone to challenge him there, uh, because again, you know, as I've been saying for a while now, I'm certainly not sold on Somi, and I'm, I'm not sure that that's going to change. Uh, and now Tony's out for the season. So I, I think you definitely need some sort of left-back help, and I think you need some center-back help. Yeah, and I guess uh, the best way I can put it is that, um, you know, obviously I've already said that, you know, I think that, they, that their primary their primary target should should be to find another fullback. But I think that they kind of need to find a replica of, of Claude Diama, a guy who can play center-back and left-back, um, in order to make sure that you not only have depth at, at center-back, but... You know, if you want to switch, if you want to switch Dielma back into center back, um, you know, you obviously want to have still depth at over over at left back and perhaps even right back. So um, I think they need to kind of find a, a kind of a hybrid that you need to find somebody you can play both spots. Because um, you know, as also Sean mentioned, they could certainly use an upgrade at right back. I do think that you know, especially from watching last night's game, I think I think Farrell uh, far too often was a liability, um, and there's been. I can't say how many times I've counted where, you know, they had Farrell wide open on the right. They find him, and he really doesn't do anything. Like, he doesn't take on defenders. And when he does, it just kind of seems to just implode. He just kind of seems to implode um, trying to, you know, trying to create something uh, out on the right. So, um, you know, overall, I think that they do need to go defense first. Um, and I think they'd be best served by bringing a left back. A versatile, a versatile fullback, I should say who can also kind of um, partner with Andy Baba if need be in a pinch. And that kind of leads to our next question about, uh, you know, based off of the limited international roster spots, should the Rebs go after Fabian Johnson? I think that might be a little uh, high of a bar to set because he's still getting regular playing time in the Bundesliga last time I checked. Uh, so he might be a little bit, bit of a pipe dream for the revolution. But what do you guys think? I mean, his minutes have actually gone down uh, towards the end of this year. I think injuries played a role, but his, he was playing more off the bench than starting. Um, and with that said, I believe um, there were rumors a, a year or two ago when Atlanta was first coming into the league that they were actually looking at Fabian Johnson that didn't materialize anything. Um, it's worth noting that he is one of the players that would have to go through the allocation order, so you couldn't just go out there and, and, and sign him. You'd have to trade up, uh, presumably, for a spot in the allocation order. Um, but with that said, I, I do agree with Greg. I think there's... you know. A slight chance you could see him come to MLS for the right price, um, but I, I think we, I'd expect him to stay in Europe uh, for the time being. He's only 30. He's got a lot more to give. He's a you know, phenomenal player. I think that is aiming a bit high. Um, I think it would require a, a, a small fortune from the Revolution for them to, to get him, and then, of course, to, to trade up in the allocation order to, to make it a reality. Um, but no, I, I don't think we'll see Fabian Johnson in MLS this year. 
um, maybe sometime down the down the line. If he were available, though, I do think he'd be you know fantastic pickup for the Revolution and certainly worth an international roster spot, um, and could go a long way to to helping this team out as a guy that is very capable of playing left back, left wing, uh, right wing, even and even right back. He's you know somebody that can help the Revs in a lot of spots. I just don't think we'll see him in MLS uh, this year. Maybe a couple years down the road. Yeah, he'd be a sensational addition for the Revs. I just don't think that if the Revs are going to uh, kind of you know, make a splash signing like that. I just don't think that they're going to address it by bringing in a fullback um, or somebody even as versatile or, you know, with the, with the kind of ca- high-caliber play that uh, Fabian Johnson brings, I think that if they were going to splurge, that they'd probably go out and get um, get an attacking piece rather than a defensive piece. So that's just, that's just what I'll add to what, uh, you know, Sean just said, which I completely agree with. I think he would be a fantastic addition. Um, obviously, would make a fantastic, uh, make a fantastic addition to pretty much any team in MLS, but I think he, um, I think he probably stays overseas for the time being. And this wasn't asked to us, but uh, it, it did come out midweek that Christian Fuchs is uh, m- maybe looking at a, a, a move to the MLS, and he, he would be interested in the Eastern Conference teams. I guess his family lives in uh, New York or Manhattan, so he's kind of interested in living uh, on the East Coast of the, the United States. Um, do you guys have, have any thoughts on maybe a potential partnership with him and the Revs? I think he's also talked about playing as an NFL kicker at some point. So maybe you could sign some sort of deal here, get him to play on the Revs a couple of years, and then uh, replace Kostowski on the Patriots, right? He, he would have the same workplace. You know what I mean? He could just go walk across the street to the different practice field and kind of get both training sessions in in one day. I think that works out great. <laughs> I mean, e- even if it's a long-term future thing to be an NFL kicker, being on the Revolution opens up that opportunity for to, you know, to get some practice in for a future tryout down the road. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's coming to the Revolution, but that would be a, a very nice pickup uh, for the Revs, given, as we discussed, their, their need at fullback. Yeah, I'll pretty much just say everything that Sean just said. Um, I, I think he would certainly be a quality addition. I just don't think that he... You know, he may want to play on the East Coast. I just don't think. I think if he were to kind of prioritize the teams that he'd want to play for on the East Coast, I think I have to think that the Revs are probably at the very, very bottom of that of that list. I mean, and if, if New York City FC or the Red Bulls don't want him, um, there's a chance for the Revolution. I'd say, but I think <laughs> I think that those two teams would certainly be at the top of his list. I, w- I was going to say, uh, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. When I saw that he wanted to play near his family in Manhattan, my thought was, okay, so that's NYCFC or the Red Bulls. That's kind of what that means. I mean, maybe Philadelphia, but I don't know why I'd want to go to the Union at this point. With that, they're, they're not the strongest side at the moment. I'm sure that doesn't really appeal to him. So it, it, I, I imagine that he's limiting his search to the two New York teams. So um, out of curiosity, guys, because uh, we got a comment, too, from uh, Russ Goldman. It wasn't about the... Uh, he wasn't asking us a question, but uh, he, he seemed to be very uh, happy with the performance yesterday that the Revs kind of came out and uh, were on equal footing with the team that dominated us last season. And uh, Brian, I, I think you and I were kind of a little disappointed. The Revs, uh, I don't know, I, I thought they could have performed a little bit better. Their finishing was a little bit poor. They weren't that great. Uh, o- overall, guys, do we think the game yesterday was a positive or a negative for the Revs? Are, are we pleased with the end result? Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be viewed as a positive because, I mean, if you're really looking t- towards last year's performances as kind of like a measuring stick, I mean, the first time that they played them last year at Chicago, they got killed. I think it was a 3 nothing game. Um, so to see them kind of come back and play in this game and, and play a competitive game and play a game that, you know, you know, one uh, had the finishing been a little bit better in the final third, they could have ended up taking three points. Um, I think it would have been huge. I think it's. Uh, I think it certainly goes to sh- goes goes to show how much how, how how much they've improved since last year when pitted against a kind of kind of a similar uh, similar fireside last year. Um, so I think it can't help but look at it as a positive to take not only one point but to uh, but to also have the possibility that they could have also taken three points. Yeah, I agree with you, Brian. I thought this was a good performance from the Revolution. Um, particularly after falling down a goal, they really put the effort in there to, to come back and, and get a win. Um, they never really put their heads down in this one, which, you know, as you mentioned earlier on the road last year, there wasn't a lot of fight back from the Revolution when they fell down, um, and that certainly wasn't the case here. Again, it was a game that you would have liked to see the Revolution get three points out of, but it's, it's always difficult to get a, a win on the road, regardless of who you're playing in, in MLS. Um, but to me, you know, even a draw in this situation, um, with, combined with a good performance, was a good result for the Revolution. And 
I think, too, it's a glass half full, half empty type of way to look at it because I think the Revs easily could have lost yesterday. I think they got a gift of a goal at the end. Uh, but with that being said, yeah, they were on equal footing. They went into Chicago and they played very, very well against a team that is also going to be a playoff bubble team. Uh, and I think, too, it's worth noting that not only do they get one point from this road match, which is always a great thing, uh, but they also took two points away from Chicago. Uh, and, you know, that might be a battle for the sixth spot uh, come the end of the season. So uh, I think overall you're happy with the result, but I think the Revs did get a little bit lucky uh, with, with the way they scored and, and kind of taking one point in the dying breaths of the game. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it does show the progress this team has made uh, compared to last year in that, you know, me and Brian were talking uh, last week that it would not totally sh- surprise me to see the revolution take all three points from Chicago, whereas going into Chicago last year, uh, that that seemed very far-fetched. So uh, overall, I, I think it's a positive result at the end of the day. So with that, the revolution have one more game coming up before a World Cup break. Um, we touched on it Wednesday, June 13th at the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, and then the Revolution are off until June 30th. Uh, we should mention the San Jose Earthquakes have been one of the absolute worst teams in the league this year. Uh, just .64 points per game in 11th place in the Western Conference, a negative 7 goal differential. Um, at, at, even at home, they only have one win, four losses, and one draw. Um, certainly the Revolution have had lots of struggles uh, on the West Coast over the years, and we mentioned how Claude Yelno will be out for this one. Uh, what do you guys have for predictions in this game, and do you think you know, we talked about the left-back spot, but do you think we'll see any other changes um, going into this match? Greg, what, what do you see for happening in this game? I'm going to predict a 1-1 draw, and I think it's going to be a very, very frustrating 1-1 draw for the Revolution where the Revs will think they could have come out on top. Um, the I, I'm not sure what their losing streak is at, currently, but I, I did notice uh, earlier this week that they were on a bit of a skid and they're having difficulty scoring goals. If you give me one second. Yeah, they've lost four straight league games. Uh, their last result really was a 2-2 draw on May 16th uh, against the Whitecaps. And other than a 4-3 loss yesterday, they did score three times yesterday, but they had scored twice in their previous three games. So uh, goal, goals are a bit hard to come by in San Jose lately. Um, I think the Revs, I think it's actually kind of similar to uh, yesterday's game where the the, the Revs will kind of be in control even at points of, of the game. And I think they're the superior team overall. But um, I, I think with so many games lately, and I think they're going to run out the same forwards, uh, they're going to have some tired legs. I, I think they're only going to muster up one goal, and I'm going to say it's a frustrating draw for the Revs. Yeah, I'm going to go with the same kind of kind of uh, stream of thought where uh, I think it's going to be a draw, but I'm going to call it a 2-2 draw. I think you're going to have two teams that, um, you know, where defense is not going to be that great from either side. Um, after we saw last night's uh, San Jose LAFC game, obviously defense is not San Jose's forte. Um, probably should have gotten three points from that game and only conceded, not and went on to concede the equalizer and go-ahead goal uh, at the 90th minute and then after, the, and then in stoppage time. So obviously, you know, a, um, a punch to the gut for them. Um, but I do, I do see a 2-2 tie. Um, I do think that the Revs, I think Dielna's absence will be felt um, in regards of whoever plays, whoever takes his spot in the back four, whether it's Somi or whether it's uh, Brandon Bai. I think you're just you're going to lose that a little bit. You're going to lose not only the leadership, but you're also going to lose the um, the quality that, that Dielna brings. So I do think that it's going to be a tough game. I do think it's going gonna, it's gonna to look similar to last night's game at Chicago where you're going to see a lot of disjointed play. You're going to see a lot of scrappy play. Um, but I also think you're going to see a few more goals than what we saw last night. So I'm, I'm going to say 2-2, uh, 2-2, and that the Revs uh, continue uh, to get to get another, and that the Revs obviously pull off the point on the road. Yeah, this is one of those games that I could easily see going one of two ways. Um, San Jose, obviously, as, as Brian mentioned, they're up three to two in this last game. Going into the 90th minute, ended up losing, um, and now a short turnaround here for them to either a come back and and, and prove that. You know, they still have something have something left as a team and that they can really you know get out there and actually get a result or B you know curl up and die after a disappointing result and, and you know based on four straight losses and only two wins all season um, I kind of think the latter is going to be what happens in this game and I, I think you know yes Rebs are going to miss having Claude Dielna, 
but this is a San Jose team that's conceded 29 goals. Um, that has really been poor all season. They've, they've won two games. One of those was the season opener, um, and the other was uh, against Minnesota as well. So they're, 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 both their wins this season are against a Minnesota team that's obviously not very good either. Um, so w- with that in mind, I think the Revolution actually do get a rare home win in this one, and I'm gonna, a rare road win in this one, and I'm going to give them a 2-1 to one victory in San Jose um, to go into the World Cup break on a positive note. Uh, but it should be an interesting one to watch because you know going into this road trip, I think you could circle Chicago and San Jose as, as two games that you know the Revolution had every opportunity to perhaps get a result. So here's an opportunity for them now as they get into the second half of the season with a you know fairly road heavy schedule to to get a key three points on the road, and I think they do it. Um, and with that, does anyone have any shout outs before we wrap up the show? Yeah, um, I do want to give a shout out to the uh, to, to Louisville City. I mean, they they really. I was very, very surprised. Not surprised, but I was very, I was pleasantly surprised by their performance. Um, I think they certainly, they certainly showed the kind of effort and quality that I think Friedel would have liked to have seen from his own team. Um, but I do have to give them a lot of credit for really taking it, uh, taking the game by the horns and really kind of testing, testing the revs. And I know Greg had mentioned earlier that the two game, that the two goals the revs scored were kind of gifts. Um, that the scoreline could have easily been three to one or or three three zero. Uh, so I have to give you know a lot of respect to uh, to Louisville City. They certainly they were certainly the better team uh, throughout that throughout that game, in my opinion. Brian kind of took my shout out. Uh, I, I I think it's uh, great to see a, a city like Louisville uh, kind of have a local soccer team that even though they're not in the top top tier, uh, they have a lot of loyal fans and a lot of dedicated fans. Um, unfortunately, we were exposed to uh, I, I saw a lot of trash talk from Louisville fans, so I uh, didn't leave a very, very positive uh, opinion, I'd say. But, uh, you know, they certainly have a very passionate fan base. Uh, they have a great stadium. Uh, they, they had a sold out crowd. Um, it, it was uh, really great to see kind of uh, lower league soccer with a, a really passionate fan base. And, um, you know, it, obviously I've learned a lot more about Louisville in the last week, but uh, they seem to be a really uh, well-coached team with a lot of quality players. Um, and, yeah, I, hats off to them. Uh, you know, the Revs didn't play that well, and I, I think it's easy to be disappointed from the performance. But uh, you have to tip your cap to Louisville City and, uh, and their fan base. They, they really have a great thing going down there. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited for the uh, the next run, which you see a, a Nashville versus Louisville uh, USL two USL sides playing playing each other in the uh, Open Cup, which guarantees will at least be one USL side um, in the quarterfinals. And of course, uh, N- Nashville home to some ex Revs as well, with with London Woodbury there um, and and Matt Pickens, who had a uh, <laughs> brief brief few minutes on the Revolution as well. So that'll be a, a fun one. Um, you know, as, as a neutral fan, to, to see that game with the two USL sides having a chance to advance to the quarterfinals. Um, and, and with that, I, the one shot I wanted to give was to both Greg and Brian for doing a great job uh, running the show while I was away. It was, it was great listening to it um, while I was traveling over in Europe. So, so thanks, guys, for, for taking the torch and, and running with it while I wasn't here. We had some technical difficulties, so I'm really <laughs> glad you're back. <laughs> well, it, it sounded great, minus the uh, the slight technical difficulties. <laughs> it's 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 good to be back, and uh, we'll be back next week with um, just the the one game this time finally, uh, as the Revolution play San Jose midweek. Thanks again for everyone for joining us, and and thanks to uh, Brian and Greg for joining me again as co-host.